This week in KMA Land, wind turbine project debated in Page and Fremont counties. Page County supervisors hammer out budget numbers. Illnesses force three-day Mount Air school shutdown. Clarenda school superintendent resigns. School library book issue addressed at Shen Legislative Coffee. And here exit for Shen CTE housing project. I'm Mike Peterson. Plans for a proposed wind energy project dominated discussion at two county boards of supervisors meetings this week. During the Page County Board of Supervisors meeting Tuesday morning, representatives of Invenergy outlined preliminary details of the 200-megawatt project, which has been in development since 2017. While maps of the project are still being finalized, Invenergy's Isaac Lampa says the project will be located in both Page and Fremont counties south of Shenandoah, extending to the Missouri border. Lampa says the company has experience with developing wind projects in the past. I know we said that we're a global company, but um, the Iowa wind has been our bread and butter. I mean, we have completed over 15 of these these scale wind projects uh, throughout the state of Iowa. We've worked with over 20 counties um, throughout the state of Iowa. And, you know, we've done this before. We, we do it responsibly, and we hope that, you know, our permit shows that. Mark Crawl with Invenergy says the project has 270 participating landowners signed up and is expected to generate around $2 million annually in property tax payments in the county, as well as $3 million each in landowner payments. Rawls says the company has worked with the participating landowners to tail the project to their land. Wind is a way that can fit in with the existing agricultural practices in place across our project areas and allow our project participants um, just an additional revenue stream to help uh, to help secure their operation, secure their outfit, provide stability for their families and for the community for an extended period of time. Page County Supervisor Jacob Holmes questioned the officials following their presentation. Holmes pointed to the property tax schedule for wind turbines, which differs from what other commercial properties pay in tax. Under a policy enacted in 2008 by the Board of Supervisors, wind turbines pay 0% in property tax in their first year and have gradual increases to 30% of the levy by year seven. Wind can come to Page County if they come fair and right. I believe they should pay the same tax, and if you're all about helping us and doing the right thing, you should think that too. I believe they should also uh, respect the property line. If there's any need for a setback, it should be from the property line, I've said that a hundred times, then, then so be it. But you're coming in here at a huge advantage, and to act like we're receiving all the advantage and all the gain, I have a, I, look any direction you want from this courthouse, there's business owners paying 90% times a levy. You're coming here at 30 after seven years. The presentation came after six residents spoke during the public comic portion of the meeting. Crystal Worrell says wind turbines present a health hazard to residents, and she would like more protections for non-participants. We are not small and insignificant. Our homes matter. Our lifestyles matter. With the many concerns against the construction of these wind turbine farms, above all, our health is not subject to be collateral damage for your profit-grabbing government-funded scheme. We have failed as a community if the only way to improve the lives of some people is to destroy the lives of others. One day later, Invenergy officials made a similar presentation to the Fremont County Board of Supervisors. Like Page County residents, Fremont County citizens raised similar concerns about the proximity of the turbines to non-participating landowners. Supervisor Chris Clark, who rents land-holding turbines, says he has seen both sides of the argument firsthand. I've seen both sides of this story firsthand. I've experienced them firsthand. 
I've experienced the, the jet sounding. I've experienced the, the constant shadow. I've been there, I've been on that ground. That, that's true stuff, I've experienced it. I've also experienced that, that when these guys built the windmills, they did a very good job of maintaining the roads. They did a good job of taking care of the landowners. Supervisor Dustin Sheldon says the land for the project is extremely limited in Fremont County due to the Lus Hills, several rivers, and a floodplain covering the majority of the west side of the county. Sheldon says he has similar concerns for non-participating landowners and says there needs to be some middle ground. For any ability to be able to move that and still be on the participating landowners and give the non-participating landowner more of a setback because mm -hmm. that's what the, the term that we're using is setbacks on property lines and residences to you know maybe not keep the project completely out but to maybe you know facilitate a little bit more of an easier standing for those who are not wanting to participate in it and don't want one you know bordering their edge of their yard. The Fremont County Ordinance also outlines required setback from non-participating property lines at 1.1 times the turbine's height. Neither board took action on the proposal. Invenergy officials indicated it could be another month before they submit their application for the project and building permits. Once submitted, the supervisors will hold public hearings before either approving or denying the project. In addition to the wind energy project, budget discussions were hot and heavy in the Page County Courthouse this past week. By a 2-1 to vote earlier this week, the supervisors approved their board budget for fiscal year 2023, which begins July 1st. The supervisors' budget, which includes salaries and benefits for the board, included a 3% increase in pay. A 3% increase is half of what it was recommended for the supervisors by the county's compensation board. Similar to last year, Supervisor Jacob Holmes made a motion to decrease the supervisor's pay by 4%, which was defeated by a 2-to-1 vote. I think it's a fair wage, what we're, talking, what we're getting, receiving. And when we're asking and hoping on trying to squeeze this thing all we can, like I said last year, I think it's just best if we <coughs> squeeze ourselves the hardest before we squeeze other things. Holmes also made a motion to give the supervisors no raise for the next fiscal year, which was also defeated. Supervisor Chuck Moore says there is an ongoing effort in the county to increase the board to five members. He says if that comes to fruition, there needs to be a high enough salary pool to attract quality candidates for the supervisor's job. If you go, go to five and have the amount of money we have in there now, uh, you're going to ask people to come do this for $25,000. I, I don't think you'll get many takers. Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong also voted in favor of the 3% raise, saying he does not want the county to fall behind if it goes to five members on the board. I've got to be thinking on that five-person board if we only have $120,000 to work with, plus 3% again, that was going to be a pretty light salary for five people for the number of hours that are put in. In other budgeting news, the board approved the county's elections budget for the upcoming year, which includes nearly $60,000 for new ballot scanning machines from Adkins Election Services in Clinton, Missouri. County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen says the county's current machines were put into service in 2013. We are starting to get some age on them and... Uh, I always like to try to roll out new election equipment in a non-general year if we can. Adkins is 
in the process of certifying new <coughs> equipment. One point of contention has been the county sheriff's department's budget. Following considerable discussion last Friday, the supervisors approved the sheriff's budget for the upcoming fiscal year by, you guessed it, a two-to-one vote. Earlier this month, the county's compensation board, which sets salary recommendations for the county's elected officials, recommended an 18% increase for the sheriff's salary. Sheriff Lyle Palmer says his department prepared three separate budgets, one with an 18% increase for all staff, one with a 9% increase for all staff, and one with a 9% increase for the sheriff and chief deputy, and a 3% increase for the rest of his staff. Palmer says he trimmed as much as he could out of the rest of the budget to facilitate salary increases for his staff to put them in line with comparable salaries in other counties. This budget that was turned in, and I cut everything I could out of it, is $26,032 less than last year's without payrolls. That's $26,032 I cut, even with fuel costs going up and everything else that I could think of with maintenance. During the compensation board meeting, Palmer stated he believed the county was falling behind in compensating deputies, jailers, and civil staff in his department. Supervisor Chuck Morris took issue to that, saying the board has asked for data to justify raises for the rest of the sheriff's staff. board meeting, I felt like we were tomahawk thrown under the bus, and you have every right to that feeling, but I don't believe you you honestly told the whole story about how this board has denied salary increases. This board has been and will continue to be very supportive of law enforcement in Page County. We have asked on a number of occasions for data on a variety of cases. Tell us the number of interdictions you have, number of arrests, this, this, and this. Help us understand what you're asking for and why we need to do it. We've received none of that. Following discussion, the board approved a budget that included a 9% raise for Palmer plus the chief deputy, which is required by law to receive the same increase as the sheriff. Supervisors also approved a 3% increase for the rest of the sheriff's staff. Supervisor Jacob Holmes cast the lone dissenting vote. COVID-19's continuing impact was felt in one KMA Land School District this week. Mounting staff and student sickness forced the Mount Air School District to cancel classes Monday through Wednesday. Mount Air School Superintendent Jason Schaefer tells KMA News the closings were due to increasing absences of students and instructors from a variety of illnesses, including COVID-19. Right now, basically, we've been kind of watching data here over the last several days, and we've seen a you know a spike in some of our uh, student and staff illnesses, not just COVID, but additional illnesses as well, such as influenza. And then you have your other absences that maybe aren't specified. But overall, that would be the main rationale. And when you compile all those factors where you have students gone, staff, and the difficulty of filling staff spots when they're absent, and the shortages of subs, we've just kind of piled all those things. At the same time, he says Mount Air is experiencing the same shortage of substitute teachers as other area districts. It's difficult to find subs, but overall we've been fortunate. We do have a good number of folks in our community willing to help us out and sub, but yeah, it kind of becomes an all-hands-on-deck sort of scenario where you have teachers leaving their, you know, whether it be uh, title or tag, instructional coaches, you know, everybody kind of stepping up and coming out of their roles to cover so that we can continue with our 
you know, are learning every day. Schaefer says the three-day shutdown would allow for more extensive cleaning of the district's buildings in an effort to stop the spread of germs. In addition, Schaefer says students and staff were asked to wear a mask for two weeks after returning from the break. The superintendent says the district must do everything it can to stem the tide of sickness. The school board felt that the one maybe extra layer of mitigation that could be put out there, the masking, hopefully that would help if, if we you know, if this makes sense, if we can get everyone to commit to that, you know, for the next seven, eight days of school that we have, uh, hoping to then kind of get ahead of the current momentum with, with the number of illnesses and so forth. Classes resumed in the Mount Air District on Thursday. Clarinda's school district will have a new superintendent beginning next school year. Meeting in regular session Wednesday night, the Clarinda School Board approved the setting of interviews with four search firms who could aid the district in the search process for a new superintendent. The decision came after the board also approved Chris Bergman's resignation, effective at the end of the 2021-22 school year earlier in the meeting. Board member Greg Jones said he highly suggests hiring a firm to assist in the job search. I, I just know if you don't have a search firm, it's a monumental task. And that's right. a lot of, it's like in Darren's yep. seat, that's a lot to try and navigate alone. And so... Uh, I think highly recommend the search firm, search firm. having gone through it twice, unfortunately. The board intends to pursue interviews with Ed Wise, Grunmeyer, Ray and & Associates, and McPherson and & Jacobson search firms. However, board member Paul Boyson says he feels the board should find common interests and qualities in a superintendent before beginning the search and to get the school board's attorney involved. But I think we need, at least need to talk to the board attorney because... In any hiring process, there, and particularly with school administrators, there are a lot of legal pitfalls. And I think we need, as part of the process, to be open about it. And when we get to that point, we need to have various stakeholders. I know some of that's done by the firm, but I've also worked with those firms, and they leave you, leave it up to you to do a lot of that. But Jones says the search firm would consider any input the board has on the wants and needs of the candidates throughout the entire process. The board did not send an exact date of the public interviews Wednesday evening, and Sunderman says he will reach out to four firms to set up a time as soon as possible and conduct the interviews during a special board meeting. Bergman declined to comment on her future plans. Parental choice over materials schools provide to students was a hot topic of discussion during last Saturday's legislative coffee in Shenandoah. During the first briefing of 2022 held at the Shenandoah Public Library's Bricker Room, State Senator Mark Costello was asked about comments made in a recent edition of KME's Morning Line program regarding a bill calling for districts to list materials made available to students via school libraries or course syllabi on school websites. While saying he won't decide how he'll vote on the bill until he reads the actual legislation, Costello reiterated comments made on the January 14th program that would increase transparency for parents. The idea of more transparency and allowing the parents to see what is available to the students because what has happened is there have been some uh, examples of books and literature in the, in the schools that most people would object to. I mean, I think we have a process that, you know, the parents should be able to go to the school board and hopefully the school board will say, oh no, we don't want that in there. 
or, or the, the school would make that correction themselves. Ultimately, the Imogene Republican says it's up to school boards to decide what books are available in libraries. Since most districts already provide listings of library and class materials to parents, State Representative Cecil Dolacek says the proposal provides few changes. However, Dolacek questions a revision setting a 30-day timeline for reviewing certain materials objected to by parents. I'm not sure in that process that's long enough for a school board to respond to and appeal uh, research material and make a decision uh, because they got to have that done within 30 days. If they don't have it within 30 days in this proposed legislation, well, then it goes to the Department of Education, and I'm not sure that timeline is correct. Lynn Mason of Essex voiced objections to calls from some lawmakers for criminal charges against school librarians and other officials for disseminating material considered obscene. He also says school districts should not be in the business of banning books. Mason cited examples where books like The Grapes of Wrath and The Catcher in the Rye were prohibited by some Iowa schools. Political agendas is something we can't ban. You know, I mean, I just think that you might say, well, we don't want you to teach this, but we're not going to sit there and say, okay, we don't want you to even have it around. And I think that's, that's be my problem is you can't criminalize things. And plus, when you censor, then you start going, because it always goes too far. You know, is the diary of Anne Frank going to be banned? You know, with some of the zealots that we have. That, that very well could be. Mason also cited previous efforts to ban Inherit the Wind, which fictionalized the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial regarding the teaching of evolution in schools. Saying he considers the book literacy material, Dolacek says it should not be used in history classes. Costello replied that he too doesn't believe the state should be banning books. You know, somebody makes choices as to what's in the library and what isn't. Um, I think they need to own up for that. I don't think that the state needs to be banning e-books. Uh, I do think that the teaching in our schools of uh, divisive, what I consider uh, not, not in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, judge a person by the, the content of their character, not the color of their skin, I don't think we want to go into this divisive arena and, and try and make division between us as, as Americans. In her condition to the state address, Governor Kim Reynolds voiced support for more transparency on school materials distributed to students and criticized school districts providing materials considered obscene and illicit to students. Shenandoah officials have given their blessing to a proposed student housing renovation project. At its regular meeting Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council approved the sale of city-owned property at 213 West Sheridan Avenue to the Shenandoah School District for $1. Council members then set a public hearing on the transaction for its February 8th meeting at 6 p.m. Plans call for high school building trade students to renovate the structure as part of the district's career technical education, or CTE, programming. In a recent interview on KMA's Morning Line program, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Kerry Nelson said city officials work with the district in helping to select the right material for the project. We have been looking at the possibility of adding more out-of-the-building experiences for our CTE program. And we were really pleased that we were able to locate a house. We worked with A.J. Lyman through the city to identify some properties that were in need of renovation. 
and he had quite a long list for us to consider. Um, but he had identified a couple of them that might be a little more suitable for student projects. Once the property transfer is finalized, Nelson hopes work of the project can begin immediately. He says the renovation's completion date has not been determined. The city will give you a full year to complete the renovation. We don't think it will take quite a year to complete the project, but we will be starting rather immediately. We want our students engaged in the process of all of the steps it takes to you know, secure the house, to make plans, to design it, to consider all of the, you know, the real budgeting experience that goes behind how much money you have to spend and what you need to do. And so we will be starting as soon as we take ownership of the property. And Nelson says 10 students are involved with the project. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. For more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com where you can hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.